Welcome to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. Welcome to Soccer Morning, brought to you by WorldSoccerTalk.com. Happy CBA Day. We will have an MLS season as the players and owners reached an agreement last night in Washington, D.C. Plenty of chatter about the CBA agreement today on the show. Simon Evans of Reuters and World Soccer Talk, uh, speaking of, will join us in a couple minutes. He was on the scene at the mediator's office in Washington. We'll talk to him about how everything went down. Also on today's show, Kyle McCarthy at 10 th- 1040, excuse me, to preview the first weekend of the MLS season. Hooray, we have an MLS season. Maybe you're not feeling a hooray, and I'm going to ask you about that today, but we are going to have an on-time start to the season. I want to take the opportunity right now to welcome in Soccer Morning's new sponsor, Draft11.com. It's a one-day fantasy soccer site. If you're interested in that kind of stuff, fantasy soccer, everybody loves that. And this is a one-day games. You can win cash prizes. You definitely need to go check this out. Premier League, Bundesliga, Serie A, La Liga, Champions League, Draft11.com. Excellent to have them on board here at Soccer Morning, and we appreciate them partnering with us. Uh, here we go into the news again. MLS CBA getting done last night in Washington, D.C. Uh, the players and the owners coming to an agreement at the, uh, the 11th hour, as they say, ahead of uh, tomorrow's first match of the season, L.A. hosting the Chicago Fire. Now, we'd heard earlier in the day that the Fire players had had left D.C. and then they'd gotten on the plane to, to L.A. That was viewed as maybe a good sign. Of course, why wouldn't you want to be in L.A. in March instead of Chicago in March? But that's neither here nor there. You don't fly unless you ex- have expectations that a deal is going to get done. The details on this CBA, free agency. Always the sticking point with the players, or so we were told. That was the rhetoric. They end up getting a deal out of the owners 28 years old and eight years of service in the league will get you free agency. Now, we will analyze this specifically with Simon Evans here in a couple of minutes, but just to give a couple of thoughts, that is, um, it's not a great deal. If, If you're looking for free agency, that's not the best deal. You have to be 28 years old. You have to have eight years of service. It means that if you break into MLS at a younger age, let's say 18, you're, you're, you would have eight years of service at 26, but you wouldn't be eligible for free agency for another two years based on age. If you're a college player, and we, we may have less and less, fewer and fewer, excuse me, college players entering MLS, especially at 22, 23. But if for the time being, that is still something that happens on a regular basis. Those players will hit 30 years old before they're eligible for free agency. So it's not fantastic. It is a, a high number, both in age and years of service. Added to that is if once you do main, uh, once you do reach the status that allows you to pick your next team when your contract is up, there are caps on how much more you can make when you move. Players making less than one hundred thousand dollars will be able to garner a twenty five percent raise. Players between one hundred and two hundred thousand dollars will be eligible for a twenty percent raise, and players above two thousand two hundred thousand dollars will be limited to a fifteen percent raise. Caps on raise is not really cool. Not real cool. Uh, that's I'm not sure that you could call that a win for the players. You get free agency, you get capped on your raise. Minimum salary, also a sticking point for the players, reportedly raised to $60,000 a year, which is certainly a livable wage in 90% of the MLS markets. The question now, and I've yet to see this clarified, is whether or not 
That minimum salary applies to senior roster players or everybody. If that minimum, if if it's sixty thousand is the base salary available to any uh, uh, to any player in MLS, then that's a that's a good thing. That's a win for the players. But as we saw in the last CBA, two thousand ten, the one that just expired, there was a forty eight and a half thousand dollar salary minimum, and there was a thirty what was it thirty four thirty six something like that. Thirty six was a uh, uh, what were those players called? They they were they were players of a different status. MLS does this, splits players based on several categories, and it's never clear exactly who these rules apply to. So we're waiting on that. If you're wondering about the salary cap, I don't have details on any of that yet. If those are out there, feel free to throw them my way on Twitter at Soccer Morning. The best, the the only things I've heard is rumors, something about a fifteen percent increase in the cap. Well, if that's 15% increase year over year over a five-year term, and that's another thing, by the way, we'll get to that, then that's not a terrible thing for the players. That five-year term, that's a win. There were reports that the owners were looking for an eight-year deal. An eight-year deal locks the players in for entirely too long in a league that is changing as quickly and the revenues are changing as quickly as they are in MLS. In the end, this, this deal was compromised. And I've seen people on both sides of this, mostly saying that maybe the players should have taken a harder stance. If you're going to threaten a strike, don't let 28-8 and be the reason you don't go. We'll get your thoughts on that later on the show when I open up the phone lines. We'll certainly talk to Simon Evans about where this puts MLS, if this is the right kind of stepping stone to being a top league by 2022. I don't think it is, but it is a step forward. While all of this was going on in American soccer circles, you had England playing a bunch of midweek matches in the Premier League. Results all over the place. Uh, looking at these right now, Manchester City with a 2 nothing win over Leicester. Apparently not a great performance, but a big win for the title chasers and the defending champions. Stoke City beating Everton. Everton, not, not good right now. Floating out there that this is the worst start in 88 years for the Toffees. Is Roberto Martinez in trouble in Everton? Chelsea beat West Ham to extend their lead at the top of the table. Remember, they had a game in hand on Manchester City after that League Cup final on the weekend. Tottenham comes back and beats Swansea City 3-2. That's, uh, that's not pulling a Spurs. Pulling a Spurs is if they had lost, right, Trevor? You would know. <laughs> Arsenal beats QPR 2-1 uh, there at Loftus Road. Liverpool beats Burnley 2-0. Manchester United beating Newcastle 1-0 um, at St. James's Park. And the, and the story there is apparently Johnny Evans and Poppy uh, Cisse getting into it. Some spitting may have happened. There are bans possibly coming down. Uh, now Johnny Evans is de- uh, denying that he ever spit on Papa Cisse. In NASL news, you remember, we talked about this. Ronaldo mentioning that he may come out of retirement when he joined the Fort Lauderdale Strikers ownership group, that he was going to get in shape and he was going to make the playoff run. Well, now he says he's not coming back, and he's saying he never was coming back. And that all of this nonsense about him coming back was just a Twitter thing. Nonsense from the Twitter crowd. Okay, Ronaldo. Uh, Whatever, man. Enough. If he's not coming back, that's fine. Be out front with the strikers being part of that ownership group. Uh, In Spain, Barcelona beat Villarreal to advance to the Copa del Rey final. They'll face Athletic Bilbao, who won in the semis as well yesterday. And DC United fell to Alohelense. So close, so close that time in the Champions League. 
they were down uh, 5-2 heading into that match. There was very little chance. It was a bog, swampy mess at RFK Stadium. The referee lost control of that match very, very early. And although DC United did score a goal to get themselves a little bit of hope, uh, they ultimately fell. And uh, no surprise there. They can move on to the MLS season, which will get underway this weekend. Uh, hooray! Again, hooray. I need like a applause thing, Trevor. Hooray! Simon Evans from Reuters, World Soccer Talk, and many other places will join us. Just a minute, we'll talk about what happened on the ground in D.C. to get that CBA deal done. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go back on Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. On the phone line with me now, Simon Evans from Reuters. Column at World Soccer Talk every week, many other places. Follow him on Twitter, SG Evans, as I was last night when he was in D.C. covering the final moments, the final hours of the MLS uh, players uh, negotiating with the owners over the CBA. Simon, how are you, sir? Very well, thanks, yeah. Um, we're just talking about a little bit about the weather here, and I think that's, you know, uh, these outside factors maybe get forgotten a bit, and I'm not saying that the that the players quote-unquote caved or anything like that, Simon, but I do wonder, with the potential of playing the, the, the opening weekend, if they weren't going to strike, if they're, if they were a little bit unsure of that, do you, do you think the, the, the impending snowstorm that has has, has stranded you in D.C. had any, any role in any of this? I'm not sure it would have had a role, but I think it was uh, added into the factors of, of all the different pressures that were on people in that room yesterday to, to get things done yesterday so that Friday's game wouldn't be effective. And the fact that people, um, you know, I was certainly stood there thinking, get this deal done, then I can get a flight out last night before the snowstorm comes. And I think, I think that would have been going through the minds of a few people. And some of the players did actually leave before the end to catch flights. So Dan Gargan head off to LA mm-hmm. and, and a couple of other players as well. So, yeah, I mean, there was a time, there was a time pressure there because, you know, the, the league didn't want to get into a situation where, where, where a deal wasn't done before, before Friday's game or, or affecting the travel. So I think the, the weather might have factored into all that. Now we may, we'll, we'll get into what details we've heard. And, and I, and I, I will be careful to say it. And you pointed this out before we jumped on the air here that a lot of this is un, unofficial, unconfirmed that we have, we have leaks from various sources. Uh, so to speak, but but we don't know for sure exactly what's contained within this uh, within this CBA agreement. That being said, based on the on the on the reports we have, twenty eight and eight for free agency, uh, meaning twenty eight years old and eight years of MLS service with the with the salary um, w- with the caps on on raises for those players uh, who would move on to other teams with um, you know the minimum salary coming up and some of these other elements. Do you see this as you know, a, a straight split compromise kind of deal. Do you believe the players won because there is free agency on the table? Well, I think there's two ways of looking at it. And certainly, when I saw the faces of the players coming out of that office last night, um, I would be lying if I said they looked happy. Um, 
in fact, some of the players, even though they were allowed to speak afterwards, were, were stone-faced and silent as they came out. And, and Nick Raimondo, who was the first person to say, yeah, we've got a deal done, he kind of said it in a laughing way, you know, kind of, yeah, yeah, we've got a deal done. Um, so, you know, the players certainly didn't give the impression of people you know, running out onto the street ready to uh, pop the champagne on a new deal. And, of course, when you look at these numbers that, that are coming out, and 28-8 is confirmed. That is something that, that, that players have talked about um, being in place. Uh, you know, it's understandable why there's mixed feelings about it um, because, you know, it's, it's a movement, but it's certainly not, not, a, not a clear victory for them. But then you could look at it from the league's point of view as well and, and look at those owners. And, and we heard from, you know, the Real Salt Lake owner, but also privately other owners were saying the same things at the start of the process, that free agency is completely off the limit. It's not going to happen, never going to happen. It's not that kind of league. And now we do have some form of free agency, and it is a strange kind of free agency. If you went to Europe and told, told players there that, oh, this is what free agency looks like in Major League Soccer, they'd probably laugh about it. I mean, it's more similar 28, and then you're talking, as you pointed out, you know, you could be 30 years old, depending on what time you come into the league. That reminds me a little bit of what it used to be like in communist Europe, where you know countries like Poland and Hungary would let their star players travel to the West to play when when they got past their best. So it's not really free agency. No, but I think you know go ahead. the most the most. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go, go ahead. Sorry. The most interesting conversation I had yesterday uh, of the whole thing was with Tally Hall, um, the Orlando City representative and goalkeeper, who basically said, "Look." When these things get done in the history of all the other leagues, they've had to have work stoppages or very bitter uh, litigation and lawsuits to get that movement towards free agency. And the MLS players have managed to do it at the, really the second time of asking and without any industrial action at all. And, and his argument was, look, we're not going to benefit massively from this, the players who were in that room. Right. But the ones who come down the line... And it's true, and that's always the case in every kind of labor negotiation, all those cases in Major League Baseball and so on. The people who made the sacrifices weren't the ones who, who benefited from the change. And so he was taking the long view and saying, look, when people look back in another 20 years and they'll see what this became and what it evolved into, this will be seen as a key moment. And I think he does have a point there. It's difficult. I think it's difficult for some people, and the fans are certainly in this group, Simon, to see the long games, to see what eventually may come that that the the players and I argued this yesterday they've never had as much leverage as they had this time around and but that doesn't that doesn't mean they had enough to push the owners to do things they didn't want to do that the owners still had ultimately uh, more more of the bargaining power here and there is you said you you know you cut you outlined there that the players got something approaching free agency or something that seems like free agency uh, within some parameters, without having to litigate, without having to have a work stoppage. And there is still sort of this we're all in this together mentality that infects American soccer. That definitely had a role here, did it not? It did. And the other thing Tally Hall said as well was, you know, the league isn't making money yet. We can help them to make money. And if we do that, we'll make more money down the line, which is exactly what you're talking about, that all-in-it-together uh, approach. And look, you know, I mean, it's, it's clearly not a great free agency deal. But, you know, one thing that you hear people in, in these negotiations often say is, you know, as much as about this CBA, CBA talks are also about the next one down the line. Now, 
just what happens to 28-8 in five years' time. And it's crucial that it's five years' time and not eight years' time, mm-hmm. which would have been absolutely ridiculous, I think, as a, as a labor agreement. But if, 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 you, if you look at, uh, at, at the history of these things, again, would it be inconceivable that next time around free agency goes down to 26, 25-year-old with four or five years in the league? You know, at what point does it just become an inevitable process towards what is more universally recognized as real free agency? Now, a couple of things that were out there last night that I hadn't seen um, any word on. Uh, I'm, getting re- I'm seeing a tweet from Jeff Carlisle of ESPN FC, who's obviously been on top of a lot of the details here. That says uh, Michael Parkhurst has said that roster sizes will see, be the same. There was some question of whether or not rosters would would dr- roster sizes would drop as maybe a hedge against the spending that uh, the extra spending MLS uh, owners will do now. Um, so that that that's a good sign. And then there's the element of the CBA, uh, sorry, the cap salary cap and how much it would increase. Um, he's uh, Jeff Carlisle is confirming Stephen Goff's report that it's a seven percent salary cap increase. I'm not going to get into that right now. Simon, uh, that seems paltry to me, but uh, perhaps that's a discussion uh, for a little bit of a different day. I think what we're getting to here and the analysis that I'm seeing is um, that maybe that maybe the players folded. And again, this is from a fan's perspective in a lot of cases. Some people who are very, uh, very behind the players in a push to get more freedom and, and want to see the, the MLS uh, uh, structure hew closer to what Europe does. Those people are angry today. Do you believe that they have a right to be? I mean, to say they folded is, is very harsh. But as I said, there were clearly a lot of players who, who didn't feel that they got the deal they could have got. Uh, and it comes down, really, I think, to an analysis that the union would have had to make and the, and the fans need to make as well about just how much strength the players actually had. I mean, the union talking about a strike, and you, you look at it, and you think, really, were they, were they really in a position to go three, four, five months or wipe out the whole season and go all the way for full free agency, risking the, the future of the league, some might say, on the other side, uh, certainly risking their own incomes by doing that? Were they in that position? I'm not sure they were, and I think they must have looked at that, that, that position and said, look, we're pushing them, we're pushing them, we've got some movement here, we're going to have to take something, we don't want to go on strike. And uh, I think one of the problems that they had was at the start of the process, if the union had said, or the leading players who were speaking on behalf of the union in particular, had said, we want to see some significant movement towards free agency, they could turn around now and go, hey, we call this significant. This is a movement towards free agency. Yes. We've won. Yeah. But they did. They said, we want free agency or we're going to strike. And that boxed them into a corner where either they were going to have to strike or they were going to be in this position where, where critics can turn around and say, you didn't get what you said you were going to get. And that's the situation that, that Bob Foose and his people are in. Uh, from a selfish perspective, I'm glad that, that the season won't get delayed. And, and, you know, in retrospect, everything kind of clarifies itself. Everything becomes much easier to see. Um, you know, hindsight is obviously 2020, Simon. All of that rhetoric seems so ridiculous now. And I'm including Deloitte Hansen's comments about free agency uh, being a waste of time, the discussion being a waste of time. I'm talking about maybe the players posturing for a strike. Ultimately, when it came down to it, and maybe this is going to make me more cynical the next time around, ultimately, when it came down to it, both sides saw no reason to push um, to push aside things like Orlando getting 65000 in the Citrus Bowl for their opener or NYCFC launching in a couple of weeks or, you know, um, crowning achievements, uh, you know, crowning the, the LA Galaxy 
champions again as they open their season. Uh, these things uh, are are elements that push both sides. Absolutely, you know, and, and but certainly the the league people coming out just looking at body language, which is a, a strange game you do get into when you stood on a pavement all day and you just see flashes of people. You know, when when the people went in in the morning. Uh, there was an awkward moment. There's, there was a, there's a revolving door at that office building at the front, and Bob Foose and Don Garber arrived around the same time. And it was you go first, no, you go first. And it was it was all very awkward, and there weren't many smiles, and it wasn't a very friendly greeting. And it looked like people who were on the brink of a major major dispute. And then and then afterwards, you know, there was a real spring in Don Garber's step as he came out. The MLS people were smiling. And like I say, I didn't see that really from the from the players. So I mean, I think I think the players, you know, they they do want to play. They wanted a better deal from themselves. Some of those players are are, are not going to benefit from from free agency at all. Or if they are, it's going to be in a very limited way. I think the the thing that you know, I think if you went to labor unions elsewhere in the soccer world and said, "What do you think about this?" I think the thing that they would object to the most. Would would be the cap on the earnings for a free agent. Yes, I mean that's where you, that's where you can really start to say, is this free agency? Mm. What's free about negotiating your labor and being told that you have a cap on it? Well, in that in that area, Simon, and and I'm no legal scholar. I I, I you know we I can't prognosticate what's going to happen in the future directly. But I think the the general theory is that this is cracking that door open, even if it's just a little bit. And that we're only going to see further advancement. As I mean, that the players can certainly spin it that way, but in five years, um, you know, how much closer can they get? And, and again, I think some of this is, is for me is the disconnect between the way the league talks. Certainly, Don Garber talks about positioning MLS in in the world's game, and how the owners actually act when it comes to putting their money where their mouth is. Yes, and, and I think if, if, if you are talking, as, as Garber does, about MLS being one of the, the strongest leagues in the world by 2022 or 2026, you have to start to spend more money on players. But, you know, even the biggest defenders of the single entity structure and all the regulations and rules of MLS will agree with that. In order to bring in quality players from abroad, in order to keep the best American players, you have to offer competitive salaries. And there's, there's nothing in the CBA at all that addresses that. There's nothing in it that says we're going to the next level on that front. Are we going to see the fourth designated player at some time and maintain this system of big threes and big fours, which I don't think is, is a healthy one necessarily? Mm. That, that might be the way that the league continues to push itself. You know, I can say, oh, this year we've got David B and Kaká coming in and Giorico and, 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 and other players and so on. But it's, it's finding a way to have teams that have 11 really good players on the field and not three or four and then, and then all these different layers and tiers of, of players restricted by their incomes. And that's a big, big picture. And, and I think, you know, five years from now, here's, here's the thing. Why, why did MLS want an eight-year deal? Because the television deal lasts for eight years. And they wanted to be in a position where they negotiate the next one when they know how much they're getting from whoever signs up for the next TV deal. The union are going into a position where the next CBA, they won't know what that TV deal is going to be because they'll still be three years away from it. But the CBA after that will come very quickly after what should be if things go well and if ESPN and Fox really promote MLS as a television product, should be a massively 
expanded television deal in eight years' time. And that's going to be the moment, I think. And, and I've, I've spoken to a couple of owners in MLS who said, eight years' time, that's the crucial... This was way before the CBA. In eight years' time, that's when MLS goes to the next level. Mm-hmm. But it all depends on whether the television product can be established. And, and it's up to, in a lot of ways, it is up to the league, but also it's up to ESPN and Fox to popularize the thing. I think it's interesting when we see people spread around the, the, the numbers, the percentage of league revenue that goes to player salaries. Um, a lot of times it's, you know, NBA, NHL, NBA basketball. Obviously those leagues, which with much larger television contracts are, are giving some, you know, anywhere from 35, 40% of, of revenue to players. So I think the NHL is something like insane, like 71%. MLS is very, is much, much lower than that. I think it's less than 25%. It may be lower than 20%. And I don't know that is that something you believe that that the league should be paying attention to is that a is that a perception problem for MLS I'm looking at at some salary reports uh, some salary cap reports from Stephen Goff um so incremental increases to the cap over the next 4 years up to 4.2 million by 2019 when the deal uh, the last year of the deal does the league need to be conscious of these things Simon Absolutely it does you know and it goes back to what uh you know would we were hearing on the show last week from uh, from Stefan talking about um, you know competing in the global market. I mean, I, there's horrendous numbers when you look at some of the European leagues on on what percentage of uh, their income they spend on salaries. In some cases, it's well over 100. percent But you don't need to go down that route. But you certainly need to be spending more on players to to get the quality in and keep the quality. There's just no way of getting away from that. And that doesn't that doesn't involve an argument necessarily about single entity. It doesn't necessarily involve an argument about getting rid of the cap or dramatically altering the cap. It means working with those numbers and spending more. And if MLS does want to get to the next level, and it's headed in a good direction, but if it wants to make that real great leap forward, it has to be by spending more money on players' wages. It has to be. We, we've heard, uh, again, we heard a lot of things leading up to this deal actually getting done. Um, again, not, it's not just some of the fans who are upset who believe maybe that this was the moment for the players to push. And, and again, questions over who had the uh, the leverage are, are, are open, although I, I still think the owners had most of the power. But there are reports out there now that uh, from from uh, Ivis Gullersep and from Levy Bird at, at SI.com of anonymous players bashing this deal, Simon, does that indicate to you any real breakdown in the in the union um, unity, or is that simply look? It's it's a big union. It's got a lot of players. Somebody's going to be upset. Yeah, I mean there was some there were some reports I saw. I think it was Ivan who, who who actually gave some numbers of, of of I think he said seven teams had voted against the deal within the union. I mean that happens in unions. It happens it happens uh, frequently in other industries and so on, but. Um, that that did look to be players who were very unhappy just by the, the, the demeanor. They refused. Some of them refused to talk. There certainly weren't people coming out um, delighted by it. even Tally Hall, who was you know very quite positive and um, had a, a reasonable perspective on things. He was still quite somber about it all because you know I'd, I think the players who've accepted this have accepted that they're not in a strong position to go and do what they wanted to do. And that's not necessarily a nice thing to realize. Now, could they have gone harder? Should they have gone harder? It's very difficult to say without, without really having a deep analysis of, 
of, of the power game inside there. But I, I just don't feel that the union necessarily has the power to go out there and enforce what it wanted. Uh, you know, it is interesting. Again, I, I mentioned Deloy Hansen's comments about free agency and the discussion around it being a waste of time. We know that the league has been has sort of set a hard line about free agency uh, leading up to this, these negotiations. At the same time, the, the, the silent power in that room, the silent forces in that room included ESPN and Fox, um, who have put a lot of money into, into a TV contract, a lot more money than they have before, certainly, Simon. So I imagine that the, that the owners, and, and, and I'm not saying anybody thinks of the owners as magnanimous at this point, but in a way, they, could, they can certainly spin this as, hey, look, we... we Said we weren't going to, and we did. We we decided to compromise. They do they look better today than than maybe they did yesterday. Well, it was interesting the way on our sports center Don Garber was spinning this free agency deal as well. We're going to get these great storylines that other sports have with free agency. A player's going to have a choice, and and he was hinting at something which I suspect we'll hear a lot about, which is is the idea of players being able to go and play in their hometowns at the end of their careers and so on. I think. You know, if you're not going to get, if you're not going to get much of a pay increase out of free agency, you might as well go and live somewhere that you want to live or play for a team that you really want to play for, and that's going to be spun as this wonderful opportunity for players. I'm sure. As for the owners, look, it's a defeat for some of the hardline owners. There's no doubt about that, and and there are other owners beyond Salt Lake who were saying there is no way we're having free agency. It's not that kind of league. We've been through this a million times. It's not happening. Get it into your heads. And it has happened in the sense that the genie's out of the bottle now. The future discussions about free agency are no longer going to be about whether that is something that could work in MLS. It's going to be about how precisely it's going to work. And I don't think we should underestimate that. We can talk about the numbers, and, and I totally understand why a lot of players aren't very happy uh, or reportedly aren't very happy. But I don't think we should underestimate the fact that the genie's out of the bottle here. It is. It is certainly out of the bottle. We'll see what that means in terms of the evolution of the league. I'm I'm reading a lot of, of tweets here, Simon. This is obviously uh, top of mind for most MLS fans. Um, again, the, the the winning elements for the players are if you want to throw this into the winning category, getting some sort of free agency, even if it's a compromise, even if it's a single entity sort of free agency. Um, the five year term, I think, is certainly a win. Whether or not there's the the money is is a win. I think we don't know yet. The sixty thousand minimum uh, salary is is interesting, but still not clear exactly who that applies to. Uh, you know, here's here. This seems counterintuitive, Simon, but this is a thought occurs to me with the cap on the raises for these quote unquote free agents. Does that mean that that really the destinations within MLS become the places with the lowest cost of living? Isn't that isn't that how it might go? Well, yeah, you would be better off, wouldn't you, if you if you went if you went to a place with a lower cost of living, if if they are going to cap. Cut those opportunities. I mean, I'm sure. Look, there's lo- there's lots of reasons people want to go and play in certain places. They might be from that town. They might have uh, have friends on the team or whatever. You know, it does it does give people a little bit of a choice, and it it does remove. You know, one of the things that I always thought was awful about the MLS system, which is, you know, the player being told, "Okay, pack your bags, you're off to Columbus tomorrow." Right. I know why everyone always picked on Columbus. I'm just I'm just saying <laughs> saying. A particular location. I love Columbus a lot. But but being told that's where you're going, pack your bags. And these people have families. People have lives and they have houses and they have cars and they have deals and, and, and existences in their communities. And to be just suddenly told, 
you're going. Without any real compensation, there's always been, I thought, one of the most unappealing aspects of MLS because at least in a, in a free agency system, yeah, you can be traded if you play in the Premier League or La Liga. You can be sold to a club that you don't particularly want to go to, but if you do, you're going to make a lot of money out of it. And to get neither of those things has been unacceptable. So at least now there's that element of... Simon, are you with us? I seem to have lost Simon Evans. Are you? Are you, the, maybe the snow has finally killed this phone line, Simon? Hello. Oh, Simon Evans gone. All right. So hey, that was a good conversation. We could have gone for a couple more minutes with Simon, but that's fine. Good stuff there. I mean, I, I do think it's interesting to consider whether cost of living is going to be consideration for these players when they hit that free agency um, uh, uh, standard. And, and there is there there are a lot of things here. Simon was ad- addressing the system that allows for trades there. That's obviously not going away. I wonder if the players would ever put that on the table. I don't think the the owners would be very uh, uh very keen to get rid of the trading system that doesn't allow for, as Simon said, in a in a European model, you can be swapped, but you're going to make money out of the deal on some level. That's not the case in MLS. We will have an open phone line uh, segment at about eleven o'clock for anybody who wants to get in and give their thoughts on the MLS CBA, whether the players won anything at all, whether the owners won. I'm reading over here at American Soccer now a legal um, a legal analysis from Stephen Bank that says the winner here is single entity, which ultimately means that the owners won. This is, as with everything MLS, it is convoluted, it is complicated, we don't know enough at this point, and even when we do know enough to try to parse out exactly what this means. Here's what you can say. The players went in, postured, ultimately got some form of free agency. I, I think that that's not an easy sell as a victory. And as Simon said, a lot of those people coming out of that room didn't necessarily look thrilled with the deal. But I think in hindsight, there may not they may not have had the leverage they thought they did, or they may not have really intended to go on strike. And I think it's easy for those of us who are sitting here on the sidelines who don't have a financial stake in this collective bargaining agreement to say that the players folded or to say that they should have gone on strike. I've never been part of a strike. I can't imagine it's a fun time. I, I really I can't imagine that going out there, not getting paid and picketing is, a, is, is good for your personal health. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll shift a little bit. We'll still stick with MLS. But what we'll do is talk about actual games. There are games coming up. There's one tomorrow. There's a bunch on Saturday. Orlando opens up on Sunday. Kyle McCarthy from Fox Soccer will join us in just a minute to talk about all of that. Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go, back on Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Joined on the telephone by Fox Soccer's Kyle McCarthy. Follow him on Twitter, Kyle J. McCarthy. And Kyle, who is a lawyer by training, and I were just discussing how nice it is to talk about actual soccer matches instead of labor negotiations. Kyle, uh, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, and I'm... 
I'm not having flashbacks to law school anymore. Okay. So that's, that's a boom, right? Yeah, you know, that is good. And I just got done talking about some of the details of, of this agreement with Simon Evans. I'm not going to do that with you. Uh, but I do think it's interesting because of your legal background and because you, you do cover this league um, day in and day out and have been doing it for years, whether you view this as a win for either side before I move on. I can't even tell you because I haven't seen all of the details yet because it, it's, it's so difficult to assess an agreement without having all of the little particulars there. But what I will say is that both sides seem happy about some things and unhappy about others, and that's usually the sign of a decent deal. All right, so we, we might have a decent deal. We certainly have games to look forward to. I'm going to start, uh, before we get into some big-picture items, maybe at the end of this, because I do want to talk about actual soccer, I'm going to start with the opener uh, tomorrow night in, uh, in Los Angeles, the Galaxy hosting the fire. Um, the LA, you know, Obviously, L.A. is the defending champions, uh, they're host. They're bringing in a team. They're hosting a team. Excuse me. That uh, set a record for draws last year. We don't know what necessarily to expect out of the fire. Let me start with L.A. What is L.A. without Landon Donovan going to look like? They're going to look a little bit more direct, I think, at the start, uh, because when you when you have a player like Landon Donovan, you, you can rely on him to to create and invent from from his birth on the left. So without him, they're going to have to find different ways to provide Robbie Keane with service. And I think for the moment, it's going to be keep it brisk through midfield and, and try and get the ball up quickly to uh, Keane and Zardis and, and compensate that way. Uh, certainly that, that puts even more, and, and he was already doing this anyway, but certainly not, on a, uh, not, not with as much responsibility with Donovan in the lineup. But this can put even more uh, pressure on Robbie Keane to play creator and goal scorer. Yeah, and he can do it. He's shown a lot when he drops off the line uh, in recent years. I mean, he's been the best player in MLS over the past couple of seasons. I think that's that's fairly clear. And he's done that not just by scoring goals, but by participating in the buildup as well. So he's certainly capable of accepting more of that burden. Uh, but he's also got to make sure that he gets himself in a good spot to, to round off the play, too. Does this mean that do – you, do you think Giassi's artist, and look, he, he had a good showing with the national team – um, you know, he's obviously been developing over the last couple of years. Is he ready to be Robbie Keane's partner in crime rather than the third wheel? We'll see. Uh, it's a it's a big leap and it's a shift in in responsibility for him. But all the signs are good. I thought his performance against Panama uh, was good for the United States. Uh, I thought he improved substantially last year in terms of his recognition of the game and in terms of how he combined with others. And for Zardes, it's about continuing to make that progress. And I think that this opportunity for him is, is a good one because it'll, it'll allow him to, to challenge himself and, and see how far he can push things. Uh, Marcelo Sarvis left. Uh, we're waiting on Steven Gerrard to arrive in L.A. What's the partnership in midfield going to be with Janino? Uh, it looks like Baggio Husidic is going to get first crack there. Uh, and that that will be an interesting partnership. Both of those guys can keep the ball, and and Janino is, is obviously a, an effective midfield operator. Uh, the key for the Galaxy will be to to make sure they don't get stretched in that department, right? Because uh, you don't want to be chasing a game. Uh, you don't want to allow teams to to play through that line quickly uh, and have to turn around and and, and run after them. So uh, I, I think there's there's potential in that. In that duo, but the Galaxy are going to miss Marcelo Sarvis. He's been he's been good for them over the past couple of years. Let me flip over to the to the Fire, who come in um, off of a disappointing season last year. Obviously, Mike McGee 
dealing with injuries. He's 30 years old now. He's still going to be key to what they do. But where else is the strength in this team? The, the strength is in the speed that Frank Yellup has brought in during the offseason. Uh, you, you look at, at the additions, and, and they've been clear in, in terms of their team. It's about trying to create a team that moves quickly and places the opposition under threat uh, with, with their pace. And I think uh, they've got some operators who are capable of doing that. They've got Sean Maloney, who is uh, a creative figure who's capable of interchanging. And uh, they've got a, a group of guys who are dynamic now, which they didn't have at times last year. So the, the big question for Chicago is about chemistry, uh, because that team has just come together over the past couple of weeks. Uh, there are a lot of moving parts, and it might take a little bit of time for them to get everybody on the same page. So you you wouldn't put Chicago as I mean, would you at at this point put Chicago as a playoff contender, or is that a little too early? Well, there are six teams in the playoffs now, so everybody's a playoff contender <laughs> well, at the start of the season, right? Yeah, and you know what? It's interesting to think of what Frank Gallup's trying to do and, and remold this team. And you throw in the two expansion sides, where, and typically we would think, okay, expansion teams are not going to be that good in year one, although there have been you know, examples of teams being decent enough to make the playoffs in year one. But I, I'm not so sure I have Chicago ahead of Orlando or New York right now. Yeah, it's going to be wait and see in Chicago, certainly. Uh, they spent some money. Uh, they brought in some intriguing pieces. But you have to see how everything congeals. And... That's gonna that's gonna be a question that will be asked over the next few months, uh, heading toward the playoffs. But uh, w- with the the amount of of change in the Eastern Conference and with the fact that there were six playoff berths, uh, there's gonna be opportunities afforded to them. You have a win- you want to pick a winner? You don't do you do that? Have I ever asked you to pick winners when we come on and do this? I don't think you've ever done that, but no. I'm willing to go on a limb and say that I think <laughs> the Galaxy are going to probably hold serve at home. All right, there you go. I mean, I won't do that for all of these games. Uh, there, there are some interesting games here on uh, on the schedule. DC United, obviously, first place in the East last year uh, before bowing out in the playoffs, hosting Montreal. And, and I'm going to stop there just only because, look, I mean, a DC United, can they replicate what they did last year in a, in a couple of words? Uh, I think they can. Um, if you're asking me whether they're going to go deep into the playoffs and fix that component of their game, that's a different question. Yeah. But this team is built to produce regular season results, and they were able to do that last year. Uh, and I think they can do that again this year. Uh, they've got a veteran core. They've got guys who understand what needs to be done to get points in this league. And I think they're capable of continuing to do that. So they're going to have to be – careful in this early stretch without the suspended Fabian Spindola. Uh, yeah, there you go. He does have that suspension carried over from last season. And Montreal on the other side, last place in the East last year, last place in the league last year, if I'm not mistaken. And and yet, here they are having advanced to the CONCACAF Champions League semifinals by beating a Mexican side, no less, Kyle. Is that a sign that they are going to be significantly better in 2015? It's certainly encouraging for the impact because I don't think a lot of people expected them to get through that tie against Pachuca. And yet somehow they found a way, Cameron Porter, with a fantastic goal to send them through. So uh, it, that's the sort of achievement that can galvanize a team. And, and, and look, Frank Lopez has gone out during the close season and acquired a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. You know, acquired guys who are willing to get stuck in and really take responsibility on the field. Uh, there were still a lot of questions in that team. Uh, are they going to get enough goals? Yes. Are they going to have enough strength defensively? But 
when you look at what they've done so far this year, if you're an Impact fan, you have to be at least a little bit encouraged. And that's a nice feeling considering how awful last year was. I, I mean, the, the goals thing I think is top of mind for me when it comes to the Impact. Dominic Aduro, okay, I mean, uh, maybe as a second option. He's not a guy that you're going to – I mean, he, I, he's had some good seasons, Kyle, but I don't know if you're going to expect to get 10, 12, 14 goals out of him at, the, out of him in this, at this point in his career. And and then it's a then it's sort of a hodgepodge of of other options. Yeah, you, you've got Jack McInerney in there as well. But one thing I will say about Oduro, Montreal is generally well set up to to send players behind the line. They're very yeah. used to doing that uh, after having Marco Devio for the past couple of years. This so is very true. They, they, of course, the, the the question with Oduro is always: Is he going to take his chances reliably? He's got enough pace where he's going to find ways to get behind the line, but. He's got to be ruthless uh, when he does, and, and that's going to be the big question for Montreal. Uh, I do think there's there's an opportunity for them to maybe go out there in the during the summer and, and bolster their options up front. But uh, it's it's an intriguing team at the moment, and it'll be interesting to see what they can do after having that success in the CONCACAF Champions League to start their season. Let's go to the big opener in Canada, Vancouver, hosting Toronto FC. Obviously. Toronto spent more money in uh, this offseason uh, as they did last year. They bring in Sebastian Giovinco. They get him earlier than they might have even expected. They spent a lot of money to bring Josie Altador over. Both of those guys joined, joined Michael Bradley. You had, you had a couple of guys move out there. Did they get, uh, did they get, they certainly got better in attack, I would imagine, especially, you know, even if Jermaine Defoe was, was a good goal scorer last year before he got hurt. But did they get better anywhere else? Midfield, I, I think, will be uh, an area where they, they'll be stronger this year. I think uh, acquiring Ben Washiru will, will help them significantly in that department because he'll he'll be that anchor in midfield. He'll he'll hold the space and allow Michael Bradley to do what he does best, and that's uh, find the game and influence it. Uh, and I, I think that will help Toronto FC. They had some balance issues in the center of the park last year, um, so I, I think they're going to be better in midfield. I think. They're, they're certainly going to be better uh, in the attacking third with, with Altidore and Giovinco. And he, I know Toronto FC has done a very good job of winning the offseason and then losing in the regular season. Yeah. But I think this year they've done enough to get to the playoffs. I, I, I tend, we'll to, I, I tend to agree with you, Kyle, but I've been suckered by them before. And and, and maybe where I'm, I'm positive, a little bit more positive about them, as you said, maybe they fixed that balance issue in the midfield. I also think that... We're going to see a better Michael Bradley this year than we did last year between the foot injury and the World Cup. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think this is now Michael Bradley's team. And it was last year, but this is really his team now. Uh, and I think Bradley is the sort of player who thrives on that responsibility. I think he's going to be fantastic this year. I think he could have a best 11-type season. And I think he could be the, the impetus to, to spur TFC to the playoffs first time. Uh, is, is Vancouver an under-the-radar team out west? I mean, they certainly can, can make the playoffs. As you said, six teams get in, but it's pretty deep out there. I'm not sure anybody's talking about them. No, people don't talk about Vancouver uh, very much. And I, I think that's a mistake. I think they're better than they were last year. Uh, they, they've made some moves. I, I think the signing of uh, Octavio Rivera is critical for them. Uh, what they missed more than anything else last year was a was a striker, a guy who could round off the move. And they were too reliant on Pedro Morales to score from midfield, uh, and they were too uh, too blunt when they were when they were breaking forward. Now they've got a finisher uh, to go with all that pace, 
uh, on the break. So uh, I think the Whitecaps are dangerous. It's, it's competitive in the Western Conference, but people should talk about them. I think they could be good. Uh, I'm looking down the schedule here. Houston hosting Columbus, and, and I'll stop there because Columbus, I think, is one of those teams. There's a little bit of buzz around them. They certainly had a good year last year before um, falling to New England in the playoffs. And where New England is going to be, a lot of people's pick to go and win um, the East and maybe MLS Cup this year, Kyle, I think Columbus is a team that, that people who are uh, not necessarily, um, you know, they don't want to follow the crowd will pick. Yes, uh, I agree with that. And, and there's reason uh, to back the crew. Uh, they have uh, more of an element over the top now uh, with Kai Kamara. One of the problems last year is, is that teams were able to congest them in midfield. They didn't have a lot of alternatives. Uh, with Kamara in the lineup, they've got a guy who can hold the play up, he can win balls in the air, and he can stretch the field vertically to create more space for the guys uh, behind him. And if Federico Higuain can, can find himself on the ball uh, with time and space to pick up his head, he's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. So you know Columbus is going to, to be good on the ball. Uh, and now with Kamara... Uh, they've got different elements. So it, it's encouraging, I think, for the crew uh, as they head into this season uh, because they've got a little bit more variety. High expectations in Columbus. Greg Berhalter's second year um, in MLS as a head coach. We obviously know he's got some foreign experience. Speaking of foreign, Houston has a foreign manager. Owen Coyle comes in to replace Dom Kinnear. That is a, I'm not going to say it's a cultural shift. I don't know Owen Coyle well enough. I don't know how much things have really changed there at Houston, but I do know that. For, typically, four managers struggle, and I do know this is a big, big change for Houston just because of the legacy of Dom Kinnear. Do you have any idea what to expect? It's basically the same team. Uh, I think they're going to play quickly. I think they're going to try and attack, uh, and I think they'll they'll provide just a little bit more individual freedom for, for the players to 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 go up and and, and try and join the play. Uh, but the big question for Owen Coyle, and it's one that plagued him when he was at Burnley and, and Bolton, uh, is can he get a, a solid defensive core in place? And that was the main issue in Houston last year. They were, they were terrible defensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, were, they were very, very poor at the back. And that's why they, they weren't the, the playoff contender that they usually were. So uh, a lot's going to fall on Raul Rodriguez. Uh, I know he's had some fitness issues in, in preseason, but he, he's going to have to be good. Uh, and they're going to have to uh, find a way to establish some consistency in the back four, uh, or else all of those attacking players are going to have to produce a lot of goals uh, in order to, to bring them back into the playoffs. Yeah, we know Kubo Torres will arrive at some point. Um, I, I, that's a little bit up in the air. He's not getting much time, certainly in the league, with Guadalajara. I, I, do, is there any chance at all, do you think Houston has any chance at all of, of uh, negotiating an early release for, for Kubo? Uh, they've talked about it. Uh, the the question there is when uh, Guadalajara will will steer clear of relegation. Right. Uh, that's the big focus for Chivas is is making sure they don't drop into a sense of MX. So I think they'll keep Kubo Torres for as long as that is still in doubt. Um, but if they get safety in the next few weeks, then then maybe that's a discussion they can have before the, the transfer window closes. FC Dallas is hosting the San Jose Earthquakes in Frisco. FC Dallas, another team, sort of the maybe the Western Conference equivalent of, of Columbus a bit, a team with a lot of talent, a, a, a young up-and-coming manager, a guy who's proven himself um, in Colorado with, with injuries and youth and is now doing it again 
in Dallas. Um, what's the limit? What's the you know? What's the ultimate uh, goal for Dallas? How good can they be? They're expecting to take a step forward, and I think the goal in Frisco has to be to challenge Seattle and LA Galaxy at the top of the West. That that has to be the objective. Now, whether they can do that is another question entirely. I have some questions. I have some uh, concerns about what they have in central midfield right now. Um, I, I think there's a chance that teams could could hurt them a little bit, uh, exploit the lack of mobility in that department. Uh, and and there are there are some concerns about uh, what they have if if Blas Perez is away. Um, but Ospreay has done a fantastic job with that group, and they're they're in a position to take a step forward this year. Uh, and and they've got a manageable opening game against the San Jose team that is in complete transition at the moment. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Portland hosting uh, Real Salt Lake is the uh, nightcap on Saturday. Uh, I guess the question in Portland is whether or not they've they've really shored up that defense. Now Borchers makes a big difference, and whether or not they're going to get more out of Darlington Nagby and, and actually make the playoffs this year. It's tough to imagine Portland getting less out of Darlington Nagby than they did last year, yeah. and that's not to say Nagby was was poor uh, from the run of play because he, he's still always tidy with the ball, but there wasn't a lot of end product. Uh, I, I think last year w- was an aberration for him. I think he's he's got a world of talent. I think he just needs to exert his influence on games more reliably. And I think they'll do that. And I think they'll be better defensively. Uh, they should be a, a threat to make the playoffs. And Salt Lake is undergoing some changes as well. Uh, they've tinkered with their shape during preseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I saw them in Tucson, they played a, a, a genuine four, three, three with the wingers high. Uh, so there's uh, there are some changes on the horizon in, in Sandy, and it'll be interesting to see how RSL processes. Well, my, my question with with Real Salt Lake, and I expect them to be pretty good. Uh, they certainly have talent there. They have a core of players that, that they can trust in Beckerman and Morales. Um, I guess for me, Kyle, is whether or not the the culture of Real Salt Lake is is going to be the same with uh, Garth Lagerway. He was the the connection to to that that era, and he's gone now. Yeah, but you have to trust in the players too. And you've got Beckerman, you've got Romando, uh, you've got enough people who are familiar with how that team is operated to keep those principles in place. Now, the the real question for them is how their evolution is going to change those those principles. Are they going to try and play a little bit more directly uh, if they if they go to a four three three? Are they going to continue to focus first and foremost on keeping the ball? Um, those are the tweaks we're going to have to kind of wait and see. Uh, but I, I'm not as concerned about the culture of the team because it's so firmly ingrained at this point. Yeah. Uh, big games on Sunday, three massive games on Sunday, starting with Orlando hosting New York City FC. The opener for both, the inaugural game for both, 65,000 people expected to show up to the Citrus Bowl to cheer on Orlando City. What do you expect out of this game? What do you expect out of these teams? Uh, is one or both going to have a shot at the playoffs? I think they'll both end up having a shot at the playoffs because that's a, that's a big 10. Uh, Orlando City is in a better spot for me right now. I think they have a stronger squad. I think they have more of a, a, a team in place with, with making the leap from USL uh, Pro and, and then having uh, the opportunity to bring in guys like Kaká uh, to to really bolster the ranks. Uh, New York City FC, to me, is a little bit more of a work in progress at this point. I think you have to wait and see how that functions once uh, Frank Lampard arrives in the summer. 
but uh, it, it should be an interesting game. You know the atmosphere is going to be great at the Philadelphia Citrus Bowl. You know there's going to be a lot of excitement. Uh, but how the teams perform, uh, we're going to have to wait and see because neither one of them have played at this level before. Sporting Kansas City hosting the, the Red Bulls um, at Sporting Park on Sunday night. Um, you know, the Red Bulls went through a very odd offseason, transitional offseason. Henri leaves, Cahill leaves. They bring in Kleshtian. They fire Mike Pecky. They hire Jesse Marsh. Um, obviously, Ali Curtis has his 300-page plan. Uh, is there any way to know anything about how the Red Bulls are going to be this year? I mean, Bradley Wright Phillips is still there, and, and you've got some solid players. Lloyd Sam is dangerous, but what am I looking at here? You're looking at a team that is going to rely on the strength of its collective, not the individual brilliance of a player like Tyrion Ray. Now, there, there are strengths and weaknesses to that approach, uh, and, and we'll have to see how uh, the team uh, is able to implement it. And there are a lot of questions about it, but you look at their midfield, uh, and there are some good pieces in place with, with Felipe and Question and, and Dax McCarty. That's a good, solid midfield trio. Uh, they've got that pace on the right with Lloyd Sam, and uh, they, they've got Bradley Wright Phillips up front. Uh, but they have some massive defensive questions to answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless you think the solutions are already in-house, um, it, it could be a little bit of a work in progress for them at the back this year. On the other side, um, Sporting Kansas City said goodbye to Aurelian Cullen, who goes on to Orlando City. They get Roger Espinosa back into the fold. They They should have a healthier, um, less fatigued, well, you imagine they'll be in the Gold Cup team, but Beasler and, and Zussi, um, you know, will be in and out, but, but could, you know, could be healthier this year. I don't know. Uh, are they going to bounce back? They finished fifth last year. I think that surprised a lot of people. They'll be much better. Uh, the return of Roger Espinoza is a boon for them. He does so much uh, for that team with his work rate, his ability to close players consistently in midfield, and that was part of the problem toward the second half of last season. Uh, when Sporting Kansas City is playing really well, uh, they're closing consistently all the time and really making life difficult. If one player slips or one player or, or another player isn't applying the pressure as directly, then everything starts to get out of joint. So uh, when you look at Sporting uh, heading into this year, they should be healthier. Uh, Grand Zussi coming back from a from a foot issue, but uh, other than that, they're they're pretty decent shape. Uh, they're, they're certainly going to be fit and ready to go because they always are, uh, and they've got more options in, in midfield uh, to to really allow Peter Vermees to to tweak how the team uh, approaches the game. So I, I do think they'll survive the defection of that or Aurelian Colleen to to Orlando City, and, and I think they're going to improve substantially heading into this year. Uh, the last game of the weekend, Seattle hosting New England. Now, uh, it's I mean, it's impossible to know. We would all be blindly guessing, but I could see this as a an MLS Cup final preview type game, Kyle. Both these teams have high expectations. Uh, we know uh, the Revolution came very, very close to beating LA last, uh, last year in the final. Seattle won the Supporters' Shield. They, they obviously have big dreams. Um, in, the, in terms of these two teams and their fortunes, are they good? Are they both good enough to go win a title right now? Yes. Both teams should feature on any short list of four or five that are capable of lift, lifting MLS Cup at the end of the year. And I think that was proven uh, toward the second half of last season. Uh, Seattle was great uh, for the entire year. Well, New England uh, really picked things up in the final third uh, with Jermaine Jones in the fold. 
So uh, both of those teams are capable, and, and this, is, this should be a, a really enticing affair uh, because the two sides really want to attack. Uh, they, they want to, to find ways to get behind the, the opposition, and they want to play quickly, which is also a, a boon. So I, I think it could be a, a, a pretty decent way to end a, a, an interesting opening weekend. How much of a difference does Juan Agadello make for the Revs before I let you go? He's huge. Uh, he's absolutely huge because he is so reliable in the buildup. Uh, Charlie Davies has improved his work off the ball a, a ton uh, since he joined New England. But Agadello is a different sort of player. He's so clever. He knows which spaces to, to drop into, how to play guys through the line, how to combine intelligently. He's just got that, that little bit of magic in his, in his boots. And uh, you, you've seen that in his previous stint. And he really adds a, a whole new element to them. Uh, so we'll see how quickly he settles, how much he's able to, uh, to influence games immediately. So uh, it'll be uh, an interesting uh, adjustment for him as he, he gets back to playing first-team football. And, and he told me uh, last week he wants to play 90 minutes every week, mm. and, and that's the uh, that's important for him at this stage of his career, and I think he adds something significant uh, to the Revs starting lineup. Kyle McCarthy from Fox Soccer and Inside MLS over there at foxsoccer.com. Make sure you're following both Kyle J. McCarthy and Inside MLS. We actually have games coming this weekend. I am so, so excited. Kyle, thank you very much for your insight, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you throughout the season. Great. Thanks for having me, Jason. There he goes, uh, Kyle McCarthy. Let's take a break. When we come back, phone lines wide open for the rest of the show. Thank you for listening. Soccer Morning, World Soccer Talk. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis. Here we go, back on Soccer Morning, brought to you by WorldSoccerTalk.com. Let's talk whatever you want to talk about, 347-756-6276. We're going to have a lot of calls. I'm going to try to get to everybody. Let's start with 706. You're on the air. Jason, hey, it's Kevin Kincaid from uh, CBS (laughs) Philly. How you doing, man? Kevin gets in first. Kevin Kincaid, CBS Philly. Uh, should we, should I prepare? Should I batten down the hatches, Kevin? Should I like <laughs> strap myself in? What's going to happen here? I'll try to be fair about right, it, you know, because right. I could go on forever. I want to make sure everybody else has time to uh, voice their, uh, their opinion as well. Okay. Um, the players didn't get enough out of this, Jason. They, they didn't, they didn't get enough out of it. Um, you know, they walked into this, this meeting with all the momentum on their side with an arsenal of things on their side and they didn't really use it. You know, you look at where this league is now compared to five years ago, you have an, a TV deal that's, that's now tripled in value. You have five new teams that have entered the league, which is five new, you know, expansion fees. You know, you have all this money that's coming in here now, some new investors, city football group. I mean, Christ, um, you know, the players had all this on their side, you know, what, what would a strike really have put, who, who would a strike have put pressure on and would have put pressure you know, on the league that has a new TV deal with TV executives who are expe- expecting three nationally televised games with the new with the new teams at Orlando and New York City, they would have been saying, "Hey, let's get this thing going here." You know, we can't afford any more. I don't feel like the players went went far enough. You know, I just don't feel like they 
they threatened with everything that was on their side. And I think they just settled for less because yeah. they were they kind of got cold feet. Well, I think Kevin, I think you might be right about that, but I also think that declaring a strike, deciding to strike, is a very very difficult decision. You know, the players made a big a big show about unity heading into this, um, and they had to. I mean, that's posturing. Everybody's going to do it. You don't want to indicate that the union is is broken up uh, along lines that are don't you know strike or don't strike. Ask for this, don't ask. You want to show a, a united front, but at the end of the day, I think. You know, not to do Stephen A. Smith here, but I think they ultimately decided that they had more to lose by striking than they did by taking a a compromise offer that, yes, maybe doesn't go as far as they would like it to, but gets them a step closer to what will ultimately be a more open league. I mean, again, the owners were never going to allow the players to threaten single entity in any significant way. And at first, I, I think the play, Kevin, I think the owners played this masterfully. I really do. I mean, I'm not, I'm not they, on their they, side. They, they got, they, they won, they won this hands down. I mean, Jason, tw- 20, uh, free agency, restricted free agency at 28 and eight. That, that affects only like 10% of the entire league. There are two people, two players on the Philadelphia union who, who qualify for that. I mean, yeah. uh, Brian Carroll and Connor Casey, who are at the end of their careers anyway, Sebastian Latou doesn't even reach that. I think he's only a 28 and seven or 29 and seven right now. You know, imagine you're some young kid. Imagine Amobi Akugo is still around here. Who's 23 or 24 now who already has five years of experience. He's going to have eight years and still be like 26 years old. And I, and I pointed that out. And there's the other, the other element of this is, I mean, if you leave MLS, your, you know, your clock stops and, and you can come back to this league at 28 and have only four years service. You went to Europe for a while. You're not getting free agency anytime soon. Now, I mean, maybe that, maybe that says something. Maybe you got to be a free agent by going to Europe. And certainly that'd be some of MLS, uh, MLS's argument in this, Kevin. I, I guess, I guess what I'll ask you here, and, and you're not as fire and brimstone as you, as I thought you might be. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to be calm. Do you think that, do you think that this, do you think this retards MLS's growth over the next five years, or do you think that yes, yes, you do? yes, absolutely? I mean, look at look at how much this league has grown since 2007, when when David Beckham, you know, came into the league and was the first DP. The Beckham Rule they named it after him, and now you have all these high priced, you know, DPs that are foreign and domestic. I mean, the league has grown leaps and bounds, but the player rights are not growing, you know, at, at, at a ratio that matches that. You know, it's like the league is moving forward at warp speed. And the players' rights aren't aren't catching up to that. People say, you know, well, these negotiations, if nobody's happy, then it was obviously fair. No, that's not the case at all. I mean, because these are these are unique negotiations where you have a league that's moving forward at a much faster rate than it used to. So now the players are only settling for bits and pieces at a time when they could have asked for a lot more to match the growth of the league with five new teams, with expansion fees, with a new TV deal. Look, when I when I'm at I'm at television, I'm part of the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, which merged with another union, right? We go through these negotiations every couple of years. I'm not on the same page with people who are anchors, who are talent, who are reporters, who are on air. We all have different interests, even though we're in the same labor union. I mean, there's, there's never, it's, it's a rare, it's, it's very rare that when you go to the collective bargaining table that everybody on the, in the labor union is on the same page. We all have different interests. And when they sent, when each team sent one young player and one veteran, you know, to the bargaining table. I mean, I understood what they were trying to do. They wanted representation from the younger players and from the veterans as well, but that doesn't help anybody out because their interests are completely different. You know, Brian Carroll is going to get something that benefits him. Danny Cruz was the other Philadelphia Union representative. You know, he's not even close to free agency. So, again, you sent people to the bargaining table who had different interests in mind. There was no way that they were ever going to be united on what they want, and the owners understood that, and they took advantage of that. 
I think you're probably right on a lot of fronts there, but I also think that there is a, um, and I call it the kumbaya mentality, there is an all, we're all in this together American soccer element that has yet to be sucked out of the game here. I mean, it, it, still, it still maintains a big hold, especially on those American players who are at that table remembering the, the time when the league was contracting teams and, and nobody was making any money, and there were 8,000 people in the stands across the league, Kevin. I, I don't, know, I don't yeah, know if we've yeah. shaken that off yet. I appreciate the call, man. I'll move on. You got it, man. Now, Absolutely. There you go. 203, you're on the air. Hello? You're on the air. What's up? Who's this? Hey, it's, hey, it's Tom from uh, New York City. What's going on, Tom? Hey, just qu- quickly want to uh, talk about the CBA, but I also wanted to give you thanks. Uh, 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 started listening to the best soccer show, became a huge MLS fan. So uh, I've been listening for years now. So I appreciate. Yeah, I'm very that. thankful to you and uh, Jared for oh. getting me into it. Now I'm NYCFC season ticket holder, MLS Live subscriber. So just quick. That's, That's good. Now, in terms of this CBA, you're an NYCFC uh, season ticket holder. You obviously didn't want the season to be delayed. You want to go see your new team play. Are you okay with everything that came down the way it did? I am okay with the way things came down. Given the fact that there had to be a hard cap, if you take, if I take that, if we all take that into consideration, I think this is a good compromise. In that, it's weird. As I started thinking about it, uh, I first started out saying, uh, "Hey, why have, why bother restricting free agency if you've got a hard cap? It doesn't matter. Why are the owners so concerned?" But then, as we start thinking about it. The more you restrict the lower and middle end salaries, unfortunately, as horrible it is for those players, the more you can fit higher end sort of foreign stars, yeah, guys that are going you know to throw say, the league a little bit. You know what I'll throw in here, Tom, and it's something I failed to mention with Simon Evans, and it's definitely something worth considering. And we don't know, again, we don't know all the details yet. We don't know how MLS will massage the rules. We do know there are some exceptions in terms of what hits the cap and what doesn't. Thanks for the call, Tom. Thanks for listening, man. I appreciate it. There are some exceptions to what hits the cap and what doesn't. There's allocation money that comes into play here. We don't know. I mean, when we talk about the salary cap rising by 15% after this CBA, which is what the rumor is, and then 7% um, year over year until 2019 when it hits $4.6 million, and that doesn't sound like a lot of money, and it's really not in the global scheme of things, there is some, there's going to be some extra room. I mean, it's it's not a hard cap. It is a soft cap, That that not just because of DPs, but because of... GA players who don't count against it and, and some of these other exemptions and then allocation money. There, there are things here that allow teams to go well over the MLS salary cap. Whether or not that gets MLS where they want to go, where they say they want to go, I think the answer to that is it doesn't. David, you're on the air. Jason, uh, you know, quick question. I, I'm not necessarily looking to get an answer for this, but are designated players actually members of the union? Or are they outside of the union? Uh, that's so a good if question. a guy comes mm-hmm. over from England, is he expected to join an American union if he's a designated player? So, food for thought on that. Just, just, just think about well, that. Uh, look, the I other mean, thing I'm, I'm yeah, go ahead, Jason. Well, I, Michael Bradley was out front talking about the the issues. I think he's a member of the union and a, and a guy who has a leadership role, even if it's just uh, even if it's unofficial. I imagine that Josie Altidore is a member of the union. I don't know about guys like like Giovinco or Kaká. I know Kaká was saying stu- uh, things yesterday 
uh, in the press in Orlando where he didn't really understand what was going on. He was going to have to try to learn about it. I mean, clearly this is this is in, this is new stuff for a lot of foreign players. So I don't I don't so know you, I don't know the answer to that, David. I just don't. You know, so the other question I have is, uh, do does the MLS Players Union do they really know all of their options? And if I was a player right now, I'd want to know what was going on to prepare the union for a 2020 strike. Um, what are we doing to collect funds? so we can weather this for some period of time. And literally, what are the out-of-the-box sort of things we could do? Could we actually go on strike on January 1st, 2020, and basically tell the league, uh, as of, I don't know, uh, March 1st, we consider all our contracts null and void. They're, they're, they're a rule. Uh, and all our David, players are free agents. David, they're, you know, they're a rule. They looked into things like that. I'm curious. Okay. I, like, I don't know enough about labor law to tell you whether that's possible or not. There are rules that dictate when you can strike, when you can't strike, what kind of rights you give up when you do these things. Those are all part of the equation here. Again, I don't want to... We got games this weekend. I know you guys are still parsing all of this and still analyzing it in your head. Who won? Who didn't? Is the MLS hurting itself in the long run? Um, are the players getting screwed? You know, rah rah rah, populist stuff. I, I get it. I want I want to talk about this, but we we're, we're gonna get soccer tomorrow. MLS is back tomorrow, and then later on in April we're gonna get NESL and USL is gonna start up. We have the Premier League going on, the Bundesliga, Serie A, La Liga. All of that's happening right now. We haven't even talked about what's you know what's coming up on the weekend in Europe, which is fine. It's an American show with an American focus, but it's just you know I feel like we're uh, and I've had people levy this this criticism at me before on this show. Eddie in Brooklyn has called up on this show and said, "Why are you people talking about all this other stuff? Talk about the soccer. There are games that happened, and I'm kind of feeling like I'm ready to move on. This is done. We can we have time to analyze that. Maybe maybe this show isn't the time for me to complain about this." I'm not, I'm not really complaining. I'm just ready to actually watch games and then talk about those games, see goals being scored, seeing passes being made, seeing uh, great saves and tackles and, and all of the things that come with, with, with the sport that makes me love the sport. Mix his hair, says Trevor Hayward. Man, I bet you Tom in New York is excited about mix his hair. I bet you he is. I'm excited about MLS coming back tomorrow. Big slate of Saturday games, great games on Sunday, nationally televised full house in Orlando. How can you how can you not be excited about that? Whether you agree, whether you agree with what the players got or not, whether you think that they folded or or should have been stronger or should have lasted longer or should have gone on strike, how can you not be excited? Uh, one more call. Let's just let's do this and get out of here. Eight oh two, you're on the air. Hi, Jason. Yeah, who's this? Uh, Ian in Hoboken. What's uh, what's going on in Hoboken, Ian? <laughs> Not much. It's a little snowy. Yeah, it's ugly here too. What's uh, what's on your mind? <laughs> uh, I'm actually want to talk about the, the the salary cap, and I was just looking at the salary cap from 2005 to 2010, and it looks like it was a 30 percent increase. There was 10 percent the first year, then 5 percent the next four years. Yes. And so I guess the rumor is that it's 15% this year and then 7% thereafter. That is the rumor, um, yes. So there's about a 13% difference. And, and I wonder if, is that really the expression of optimism from, from MLS and Don Garber and the owners, that there's only a 
difference in optimism um, between this last salary well, cap. I, I, this is why I brought up with Simon Evans whether or not the league should be concerned about the perception of the percentage of, of money uh, revenue that the league brings in going to salaries. And it's, in MLS, it's something like 17%. Um, I don't know how much I don't know how much is that's going to go up with this new CBA. I, I really don't know that. But when you consider yeah. when you consider the leaps that MLS has made in revenue, and again, it's specifically about that television contract. Ninety million dollars is a big increase for MLS. When you consider, and, and look, I know it's not when you break it down by team, it's not a lot of money. But if you're you're not going to keep, if you're not going to raise salaries in a way that is commensurate with the increase in your revenue. You look like a skinflint. You look like you're cheap. And I think that's where MLS is right now. And I think that's interesting because, remember, this is, this is all in the context of Don Garber telling Klinsman to embrace the vision, you know, a few months ago. And, and I think that's the vision that, that Don Garber wants Klinsman to embrace. Like, is that, is that how optimistic he is? And, and so I, I think there's just a disconnect between, and, and you mentioned this a lot, between what Garber, you know, how optimistic he, he said he, he is, you know, he's talking generally about the league and sort of what the owners and here are ultimately trying to do. Today. Yeah, there you go. I think, I think that's the final word today. Thanks for the call, Ian. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for listening. Uh, we're going to get out of here. We've got a big show for, coming up for you tomorrow, Friday. Again, MLS is back. We'll look ahead to the weekend. I know it's Thursday. Why would you look ahead to the Premier League weekend? Well, we will do that tomorrow. The Bundesliga, La Liga, all of those things. Liga MX obviously going on as well. Don't want to forget about that league. It's just soccer coming out of every pore. I love it when MLS is back because there is so much to watch and talk about. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Thank you very much for listening again. Go check out Draft11.com, by the way. Sponsor of Soccer Morning, bringing it uh, to you every day. Go to uh, Backheel.com slash store and buy yourself a Soccer Morning mug. It's, it's, very, it's very stylish. Go to 3 nilfccom to buy yourself a stylish Soccer Morning t-shirt. And uh, Thank you very much to Simon Evans and Kyle McCarthy and all of you callers fantastic stuff all right tomorrow friday i'm excited good stuff see you then bye